0: Well, good morning again. We find ourselves in the Word of God in Romans chapter 12. I told you at the open of the first hour today that we were going to return to Romans chapter 12 at the top of this hour. So we read Romans 12, 1 through 8 at the top of hour 1. You can go grab that podcast later today at MyFaithRadio.com if you missed our conversation there. Um, Let's pick up at verse 9. So again, we are in Romans chapter 12, picking up at verse 9. Now, what we're listening for here. Um, is Paul's admonition and instruction in terms of how we shall live as people who are in Christ and members one of another. So that is the context of the conversation here. How do you live as a living sacrifice? How, um, how, How does that work itself out? Beginning at verse 9 of chapter 12 of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves but leave it to the wrath of god for it is written vengeance is mine i will repay says the lord to the contrary if your enemy is hungry feed him if he is thirsty give him something to drink for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head do not over do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good those are the words of the apostle paul to his fellow christians in the very first century of the church in the church at Rome. They are also the word of God to us today. We are going to talk about revenge and overcoming it with Dr. Linda Mental. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. All right. Joining me now, Dr. Linda Mental. She's the host of the Dr. Linda Mental Show. You can read. Um, well, she's got a ton of stuff, actually, at MyFaithRadio.com, but she um, she blogs regularly. You can find all of her stuff at DrLindaMental.com. Linda,
2: welcome back. Great to be with you. Great setup in reading Romans 12, um, based <laughs> on what the scripture actually says about revenge. As we talk about it, because boy, Carmen, uh, very different in the culture that we live in compared to what the scripture is telling us.
0: No question, right? Like, I read that passage from Romans chapter 12 and I think to myself, I should just have that list from Romans 12 up in front of me kind of all the time because it would be such a check on my feelings. Mm
2: -hmm. Very challenging, uh, especially when it comes to, you know, the the times that you have been wronged or somebody has done something to you and uh it's so interesting your producer sent me a couple of articles uh science articles that I was reading about the neuroscience of revenge and uh some of the the reports about is revenge actually beneficial uh, a couple articles said it was and i you know i just can't go to that line of thinking because of again what the bible says about that but there was an interesting part in one of the articles he sent me that said if you suppress revenge then uh you're more likely to act out in an aggressive way and I was thinking about all the school shootings that we've had in the past and um all the you know violence in our culture and you know one of the motives that is behind that is people feel a lot of sense of rejection and so when someone is rejected and they're not dealing with it I don't think the the answer based on what Paul has to say in Romans is that you go out and pay evil for evil but it does maybe make us have a pause to when when kids and teens and young adults and anybody is feeling severely rejected we need to pay attention to that we need to find out how that person is handling that and actually help them through that process so rather than advocating a re, you know a behavior of revenge I would say the healthier thing to do is to work through those feelings of rejection, and then hopefully you can point that person to our God who never rejects them and never abandons them and has nothing but unconditional love for them.
0: There are huge conversations, I think, here about uh, you know understanding who I am, identity, uh, huge mm-hmm. conversations about belonging, if I understand not only who I am, but whose I am, and then I understand that God can actually handle things I can't um i'm i'm not suppressing the evil done uh by others to me i'm not suppressing um the things that might be cause for feelings of revenge i'm literally giving them to god to handle on on my behalf according to his will and his timing like i that is different than suppressing it and so i think for the christian listening um that's important to note here and then we can get into these five biblical prescriptions um, that you have offered in your piece uh, at drlindamental.com But I think you're it's- right when we're talking about non-Christians and we're talking about how in the culture we can help people who are not only feeling uh, a desire to seek revenge, uh, often very irrationally. Um, they don't have a, a relationship with God, so there is no one— for them to give it to. I mean, we got to get them evangelized in order that we break out of this cycle of violent revenge in our culture.
2: Yeah, and I, I think it's a, it's a it's a great point to also make that there are times when you fight for justice. So there are mm-hmm. times when there are terrible things that have been done to people. I think we saw that all summer with the racial injustice and and neither you nor I, I are saying to people, don't fight in appropriate ways for maybe laws to be changed or for people to get help and to get changed. So we're not saying that there are not times when you have a responsible response to uh, somebody wronging you or harming you, but the idea in our culture that just seems to be constantly revved up, and I don't think social media has helped this at all, is this idea, you've been wronged, go after that person, do everything you can to humiliate, to shame, to make that person feel really terrible, and it's your right to get back at them, and that is just so counter the scripture and it's something that we need to be talking about because what paul wrote was radical i mean give your give your feed the person who's you know bless the person who's done terrible things to you but i i think that is where we have to check our hearts and say what difference does it make in my life if i'm a follower of christ well the love of god needs to overshadow any of those urges and let's let's face it it's really easy to get a, an urge of revenge it's part of the flesh you know, it's part of, we all want that at one point. We all have to say, admit that when somebody does something to us, it is very natural for me to go, I want to get back at that person, or I secretly want them to fall or fail. And it's interesting, Carmen, I was we, we I was in Jonah uh, yesterday, and I was listening to a sermon by Pastor Simbala. And, you know, Jonah's a great story about, you know, God, you know, it's a flannel graph story. <laughs> I blogged on that for the. <laughs> But the part we don't realize with Jonah that was not on my flannel board was that Jonah did not want to help the Ninevites because Mm -hmm. he didn't like those people because those people were cruel to the Hebrews. They were awful. They were torturing them, killing them, persecuting them. And one of the reasons Jonah was so reluctant is he was like, I don't want to help those people. I want you to do something to them, God. I don't want you to help them. I want you to hurt them because they hurt us back. And you know what's interesting in that story is there's no evidence that Jonah's heart ever changed in that. And that's a book that ends with a question. God is like, do you care more about, and it had to do with the last part of the chapter where he was provided some change with a plant. And it's it's a kind of a, a little interesting part of the story. But God is basically saying, you don't care about these people. You don't want them to know me. You'd rather just let me destroy them? And while, God, while Jonah was obedient to what God told him to do eventually, his heart didn't really change. And that's what Jesus is talking about in the New Testament. And that's what Paul is referring to. Where's your heart in all of this? Do you want revenge? Then you're really not understanding the love of God. And you're not trusting God to take care of these people in the way that he sees fit and that will ultimately benefit our good.
0: Dr. Linda Mental and I are going to take a very brief break. When we come back, we're going to walk through five ways to overcome feelings of revenge. You can read it at DrLindaMental.com. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Linda Mental, you can hear her on the Dr. Linda Mental show right here on the Faith Radio Network. You can also uh, check out what she's writing at drlindamental.com We are discussing a piece posted there right now, the article of which is Five Ways to Overcome Feelings of Revenge. So, Linda, let's, uh, let's walk through these. If I find myself wanting revenge, what is my biblical prescription?
2: Well, let me say before we get into that, let me just say that there are lots of studies that show if you harbor those feelings, and that's one of the reasons why we want to help people some practical steps here. There are studies that show that what happens is you experience sleeplessness, you have uh, rumination in your head about the the way you don't like the person or hate the person, you get irritable, you get hyper arousal, which is not good for the body, you get distracted, all kinds of things in, in, in a, you know face with what you're doing. So this is not a good to continue to hold on to. So the first thing you have to do is acknowledge it. Um, In the break, your, your producer and I were talking about, you know, in the Psalms, how David was constantly saying to God, you know, come and wipe these people out or get this person. This person's driving me crazy. But eventually he allowed God to deal with the situation, and that's where we want to get. So in that process of feeling intensely angry and upset and wanting revenge to allowing God to have it, this this kind of approach will help you. The first thing is to really look at what the Bible says about being slow to speak and to become angry. And so it's really calming down your body and trying to take a few deep breaths to make sure that you're not in this state of hyperarousal where you're so worked up because when you're like that, your body is in that fight or flight mode and it it doesn't it has a lot of stress that's attached to that. So you want to work on being slow to speak. So whatever you're feeling, don't just lash out, try to try to take a deep breath, try to calm yourself down a big pause and slow yourself down. And then the second part is to really examine your heart. You know, what is it you desire? I mean, is your end game? I want that person destroyed. Well, I, w- I would check that with the biblical notion of loving my enemies, because that doesn't go together. Um, you know, what's going on? And are you being judging of another person? And maybe rightfully so, but that's, again, not your job. That's God's job. He says, judge not that you'll be judged, and he will be the ultimate judge of people. And then, you know, pay attention to your feelings. If you are really angry, we know that anger is not a sin. It's not a sin to have anger, but what you do with that anger, it can be sinful. So venting it, is not going to help, because we know that when you vent anger, it just increases anger. So you have to notice that you're having it. But again, I would go back into that calming process. I, I had a scripture in that bullet point that said, better a patient person than a warrior. One was self-control. Um, you know, the self-control is a fruit of the spirit. And that's where we have to work. We have to work on that with our with our feelings that we need to do the kinds of things that's calm us down and get us into a mode of not just lashing out in our anger and not letting our anger escalate. Because what happens is when anger gets built builds and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, then we do engage the feeling part of our brain that takes over the thinking part. And we do things that a lot of times we regret. So calming and not escalating are really two key factors in this and then surround yourself with people who do exercise self control and will talk you off the cliff. I mean that is a very important factor is to have people around you to say hey you you don't need to go there. You don't need to keep ruminating on those feelings, you know, this is not helping you. And you don't have people in your life who are saying, "Yeah, get that person back. You deserve that." And this is what happens on the contagion factor on social media where People are just revving each other up and encouraging violence and anger. And boy, that is so dangerous because we know a lot of emotions, including anger and revenge, can be contagious if you're around those people. So again, this is one of the reasons, Carmen, it's so important to listen to you in the mornings. It's so important to get into a church community and have people who are all dedicated to following Christ and doing the right thing by reading their Bible and understanding the type of life they need to have to flourish. This is how we have to encourage each other in forgiveness rather than revenge. You know, it's, again, not a natural state of our flesh, but we're crucifying our flesh, right? That's our that's our goal is to put down the flesh and allow the Spirit of God to rise in us and to be able to overcome these these flesh feelings that will rise up, but we can overcome them with the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And when we do, the outcome is so much better, not only for the people we didn't hurt, but for us in terms of our spiritual life and blessings that God has for us. Linda,
0: um, as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, I have a choice to make every time a feeling begins to surface, an emotion begins to surface. Um, right. And that's very empowering. It's very empowering to hear you say um, that I can choose to be slow to become angry. Like I I might have a feeling that begins to surface of anger toward another individual, but I can choose whether or not I am quick to become angry or slow to become angry. And I can also choose um, how I respond, which or whose leadership I follow forward. And I could either follow forward my shepherd, the good shepherd, um, who I know has my my best interest in mind, um, who I know has my life in mind, um, or I could follow the leading of the one who, you know, Jesus comes right out and tells me is there to steal and kill and destroy. And revenge is is like a just an op, basic operational weapon of the enemy i mean it's just there to steal and kill and destroy
2: and you do you don't want to lead your life by emotional reasoning and this is so prevalent in our culture whatever you feel just go with it and don't have mm. any control on it and so that's why this taking a pause and if you if you need to pray i mean i've had times when i've wanted revenge on somebody because of the way they've treated me and i have to stop i have to pray i have to take a couple of deep breaths and i have to say okay god right now your spirit is living in me right so we can we can You know, have that communion with God and we can say right now I need to calm down and I need your help to just help me focus on who you are and the fact that you are going to take charge of this. And like you said, Carmen, I choose you. Right. I choose you over just those feelings of the flesh, those feelings that I know when I can engage my thinking part of my brain. I know that that is not going to have a good ending. Revenge is destructive. It hurts people. It doesn't help relationships. And it certainly doesn't show the love of Christ that is so radical. I mean, Jesus was so radical in his response to people who did horrible things to him. And it's, it's we're not God, but we he was fully man as well. So we know it's possible to get control of those feelings. So acknowledge those feelings when they come up you know start to pray and ask God to help you with those feelings and then take a pause and calm your body because if you can distract away from those feelings even for 10 seconds you can distract the brain and you can reengage that thinking part of your brain so that you can make a really good choice.
0: Yeah, that's so good. I'm uh, I'm thinking there I just made a note, you know just just ask Jesus, take this thought captive. I mean, right? Yeah. He's in there by the power of the spirit. He is more than willing. It's just a matter of my asking him right now, Jesus, take this thought captive. That's so good. Dr. Linda Mental, as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys can read more of what we discussed today at DrLindaMental.com. We'll be right back. Okay, I want you to uh, just think for just a moment here about your passport You heard uh, John Stone Street there talk about kids not only here in the United States of America uh, and our promise to America's children, but um, the growing desire for Christians around the globe to consider the reality um, that we need a global children's movement. Well, we have friends um, on the front lines of global engagement because we have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, But it's been a long time since uh, we've been to see them. So I want you to grab your passport this morning. I want you to come along with me. Our friend uh, Todd Nettleton from The Voice of the Martyrs is going to join me. And we're going to talk about faith that is forbidden. What it looks like to take 40 days and go visit our brothers and sisters around the world on the front lines with persecuted Christians. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen.
1: You don't influence God's love. You can't affect the love of God. If your actions altered his devotion, then God would not be love. Instead, he would be a human, for this is human love. Don't you need a fountain of love that won't run dry? You'll find one on a stone-cropped hill outside Jerusalem's walls where Jesus hangs, cross-nailed and thorn-crowned. When you feel unloved, ascend this mount and meditate long and hard on heaven's love for you. Both eyes beaten shut, shoulders as raw as ground beef, lips bloody and split, fists of hair yanked from his beard, gasps of air escaping his lungs. And as you peer into the crimsoned face of heaven's only Son, remember this, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This is Max Locato.
0: Joining me now, Todd Nettleton. I want to direct you to his website, toddnettleton.com. You recognize his name from The Voice of the Martyrs and VOM Radio. He has a brand new book to share with us today, When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. Todd, welcome to Mornings with Carmen.
3: Thank you so much. It's good to be with you.
0: All right. It's great to have you. So take us on a journey today. Tell us where we're going, why we're going what we're taking with us, and maybe what we should expect to bring back home.
3: Well, you know, so often when I come back from a trip overseas to to meet with persecuted Christians, uh, somebody in my church, one of my friends here will say, man, I wish I could go on a trip with you. This new book, When Faith is Forbidden, is my invitation not only to my friends here, but to everyone, come on a trip with me let's go let's spend 40 days hearing the stories of persecuted christians and uh, you know you ask what what will we bring back from this trip i believe that if you spend 40 days hearing the stories of christians who have been beaten for their faith in christ their their families have rejected them maybe they've been put in prison maybe they've had a loved one killed when you spend 40 days hearing those kinds of stories and seeing not that they are downtrodden and depressed but that they are joyful as they get to follow Christ, when you come back from that kind of a trip, your faith is going to be a little bit different. It's going to look different than when we started our journey together.
0: So I would love for you to um, introduce us to some of our brothers and sisters around the world. I mean, that is the experience that we have in this book. Um, Again, the book is When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. Todd Nettleton is the author, and yes— Um, by grace and the generosity of others. I do have some copies to give away today. So if as you're listening, you say to yourself, I want to take that journey with Todd, um, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. Let's do this. Introduce us, Todd, if you will, to our Chinese Christian sister who called six months in prison a wonderful time.
3: Well, I went to China early on in my time at Voice of the Martyrs, and when we met with Sister Tong. and Actually, my wife was with me on this trip, so we both got to meet her. As you say, she had just come out of six months in a Chinese prison. Her crime was that she was the host of a house church meeting. So a house church met in her home. The police came in and raided the meeting. They took down everybody's identifying documents, but Sister Tong, because she was the host, she went to jail. And so six months in prison, she gets out of prison. And we were in China just a few weeks after she had been released. And so we sit down together. I'm going to interview Sister Tong. I know I'm going to go back to the United States. I'm going to need to tell her story to American Christians. Uh, So, you know, how do you start a story? Well, you want to get the setting right. And so I say, Sister Tong, tell me about the prison, because I'm thinking, you know, I I want to paint a picture of how miserable her life was in prison you know, tell me how hard the bed was. Tell me how big the rats were. Just, just paint a picture of how miserable it was in prison. And my translator translates the question to Sister Tong, and she gets what I can only call a heavenly smile on her face. And she says something in Chinese, and my translator says, oh, yes, that was a wonderful time. And I looked at the translator because I thought, you know, clearly there was a disconnect because, you know, I asked about prison, and she said it was wonderful. There, there's no way— that she understood my question correctly. And I said, you know, Mr. Translator, now are you sure you asked about the prison? Yes, I asked about the prison. Yes, that's what she said. And Sister Tong went on to say, during that six months time that I was in a Chinese prison, Jesus was so close to me. He He was so personal and he ministered to me in such a personal way. And she said, you know what else? There were ladies in my cell in China, in that in that prison who didn't know Jesus when I got there but I had the privilege and the honor to be the one to introduce them to Jesus Christ and they are walking with him now and so she said I had the presence of Christ and I had a ministry to do that he gave me to do while I was in that prison so why wouldn't that be a wonderful time and you know the 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 thing about meeting her is it changed everything about how I look at suffering and how I look at persecution And the question I ask readers in the book is, okay, if six months in a Chinese prison can be wonderful if Jesus is with us and if Jesus gives us opportunities to minister, what in my life that I don't see now could also be wonderful? You know, is it possible that sickness could be wonderful? Is it possible that unemployment could be wonderful if Jesus is with me in such a close personal way and if he gives me opportunities to minister for him that's the lesson that Sister Tong taught me. I
0: I love that story, and I love the question that it provokes. Um, we are talking with Todd Nettleton about his new book, When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. It's really designed like a journal, um, and it is an invitation to go with Todd on visits over 23 years around the world meeting with um, and sharing with and having them share with him, our persecuted brothers and sisters, their stories, um, words of encouragement, uh, invitations to pray for them in ways that, trust me, are going to surprise you. Um, And it's designed for you to engage as well. Um, uh, Todd uh, graces us by including portions of entries from his own journal and then space for us to journal as well, and the kinds of provocative questions that uh, that he just asked us. You know, what suffering am I currently enduring, or what do I currently see as suffering in my life that might also be wonderful if I understood that not only is Christ present with me in it, but that God intends it not only for my good, but maybe for the good of others. Like, there's so much rich soil here uh, for the cultivation of our faith. Todd, introduce us to um a christian brother in iraq um i'm thinking here about the one who was shot by an assassin
3: yeah this was a pastor that we met and literally we met him eight days after he was shot in the city of mosul and he came to us literally wearing the coat with bullet holes still in the coat Um, so he was the pastor of an evangelical church in mosul Uh, at one point he had been one of three pastors on the staff One of the pastors had been murdered. The second pastor had decided, you know what, it's not safe, I'm leaving. He went to Europe, and so Pastor Hakim was the last pastor present at this church in Mosul, and he had four daughters, and so he was staying in Mosul with his four daughters. He knew the threats. His coworker had already been killed, and one morning as he arrived at his other job as a teacher, there were men with guns waiting for him, and they had been asking Who is the pastor? Where is the pastor? So it wasn't just a matter of a crime being committed. They were specifically targeting him. They opened fire on his car. As soon as he saw them, he started backing away and he got to the hospital and uh, he survived this attack. And the doctors literally said, you must be living your life well because they should have killed you. (laughs) These bullets should have killed you, but you're still alive. You must be doing something right. We met him eight days later, and as I mentioned, he's still wearing the coat. It's got bullet holes. He showed us the scars, uh, still bandaged, still healing. One of the interesting things about meeting Pastor Hakim, though, was also his wife, Nadira, who was with him. And she said even the night before he was shot in her time of worship, she just had a, a, an amazing, really special encounter with God the night before. And at the time she thought, you know, this is great. Thank you, Lord. I I love being in your presence and, and you're really ministering to me. And then the next morning her husband is shot. She has to go to the hospital and she realizes the Lord had been preparing her for exactly that. The Lord had been strengthening her even just a few hours before this attack was to take place. One of the things that they told us, they said they had relatives in Europe and they're in the city of Mosul. They're working at this evangelical church. They said, Our relatives in Europe, when we talk to them on the phone every week, they say, come to Europe. We'll we'll sponsor you. We can get you here. We have a place for you. Come, be safe. And their answer every single week was, well, God has called us to this church in Mosul. Of course, we're not going to go to someplace safe because this is where God has called us. When when God tells us to move on, we'll happily move on. But as long as God has called us here, we're going to stay. We're going to do this work even at the risk of their lives. And they knew that, they knew that full well.
0: All right, for those of you who've been listening a long time um, and uh, and keep a calendar related to my family, um, you may recall that we have just passed the fifth anniversary of the death of my cousin's husband, Todd, uh, serving God on the front lines in Togo, West Africa. Um, these are real people, they are real to the Lord, they are real brothers and sisters in Christ, They really do sacrifice. They leave their blood on foreign soil um, in many, many cases. And we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to journey with Todd Nettleton further. When faith is forbidden, 40 days on the front lines with persecuted Christians. Um, Let me invite you to uh, reach out to us. Text the word book to 877 933 2484 if you want to enter the drawing for the copies we have available today. Todd and I will be right back. Continuing our conversation with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs, the book is When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. Yes, we have copies to give away. You can text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484 to enter that drawing. Um, Todd, um, I'd love for you to, um, to share some more stories with us. I'm I'm aware that when we read headlines, or we hear headlines from places like Iran or Eritrea or Nigeria or Turkey, um, we are tempted to imagine that there are no real Christians in those places. So I'd like for you to take us for a cup of tea to any one of those places around the world where, you know, we have real brothers and sisters in Christ um, suffering in real ways today, and their nations might make headlines. Um, and you are helping their stories to be told as well.
3: Yes, we are. Let, let me share the story of Iman, who is our brother from Iran. Uh, Iman, as he began to share his testimony with me, the first thing he did was pray, which is kind of rare in my conversations with persecuted Christians. But he said, you know, I did a lot of stuff before I met Christ that was bad, and, and I don't want to even give Satan a foothold in my life by by bringing up those memories, I, I don't, as I tell you the story, I don't want that to give Satan a crack to have influence in my life. So we prayed before he started telling his story. And then as he began to tell his story, he said, now I want you to understand I'm a very competitive person. He said, when I was in the Iranian army and we were fighting the Iran-Iraq war, I told my commander, send me to the place where the fighting is the fiercest. Send me to the place where I can be martyred for my country in the next 24 hours. And he said, when I was a drug addict, I wanted to use every drug that anyone anywhere was using, and I wanted to use more of every drug than anyone else was using. I was a competitive drug addict. And he said, when I was a thief, I wanted to steal more than anyone else was stealing. And if someone tried to steal something and got arrested, I wanted to go and steal that thing just to prove that I was a better thief than they were. So he said – You've got to understand I'm a very competitive person. So Iman becomes a thief. He becomes a drug addict, and he has an encounter with Jesus Christ, and Jesus just absolutely heals him from his addiction. And so that all of that competitive fire turned in a holy direction, and Iman decided, you know, if I'm going to be a disciple of Christ, I'm going to be the best Disciple that I can possibly be, if i 'm going to be an evangelist i 'm going to talk to every single person I meet about jesus christ i 'm going to share the gospel with them well, in the Islamic Republic of Iran, when you live that way, eventually you're going to get arrested and you're going to go to jail and Iman went to jail and he was actually in solitary confinement for a number of days, then he was transferred to a regular prison he was in a cell with a hundred men, and in the time he was in that cell. He shared the gospel with all 100 of his fellow prisoners, and 24 of them knelt with him and prayed to receive Christ, to seek forgiveness of sins, and to commit their hearts to Christ. Now, when Iman got released from prison, he sent in his monthly ministry report to his house church leaders there in Iran, and he said, in the last month, I shared the gospel with 100 people, 24 of them prayed with me to receive Christ." It was only several weeks later that they discovered Iman had been arrested, and all of that month's ministry happened inside an Iranian prison. And they they called him and said, Iman, you know, why didn't you tell us? Why didn't you tell us you got arrested? Why didn't you tell us you were in prison? And Iman's attitude was, well, why would it matter where I was? The point of my ministry that month was I shared Christ with 100 people and 24 mm. of them prayed to receive Christ with me. Why does it matter if I was in prison or out of prison? Why does it matter what province I was in? What matters is I shared Christ with 100 people and 24 of them prayed to receive Christ. That's his attitude and, and that's his spirit of, hey, if I'm going to be a disciple of Christ, I'm going to be the best disciple that Jesus has
0: had. Okay, so there's a guy right there who is literally taking every day as an advantage to advance the gospel. Um, I, I just feel like Iman's stories and uh, and the other the other stories of our brothers and sisters around the world um, that you share in here, like right there's there's a conviction that comes over me. Like, what excuse am I using to not be sharing the gospel with people because um, I'm not in prison? I live in uh, in the kind of freedom that could only be, like, imagined by most people around the world, um, and yet I'm reticent to share the gospel. So that's a part of, I think, what we get when we, uh, when we travel with Todd around the world uh, on these 40 days on the front lines with persecuted Christians. The book is When Faith is Forbidden. Hey, before we go, I have uh, one more story for you to tell, and this one um, is— is going to be easy for you, really easy. There's a sacrificial servant whose name appears um, on the dedication page and again on the acknowledgments page. And so, I would like for you to give honor and testimony to the ministry of Charlotte, who made Charlotte, your. She made your ministry possible.
3: She she she's made a lot of things possible for me. Charlotte is my wife. Uh, she and I and I do dedicate the book to her. And I think one of the things that happens in my role is I have a a very public-facing ministry. I do radio interviews. uh, I I speak in churches. I speak at VOM conferences, and people see me and say, wow, you know, Todd Nettleton, he went to all these places. He interviewed all these Christians. The only way that that is possible is if Charlotte sends me out and, and commissions me to go and prays for me as I go. And so the thing the the reason the book is dedicated and one of the things I say in the dedication is I know God has seen that sacrifice and it has been a sacrifice. Uh, there has been times she has said to me, you know, if I wanted to live by myself, I wouldn't have gotten married. So now you're traveling all this time, you're doing all these things. So I know it has been a sacrifice. I know the Lord has honored that sacrifice and I want to make sure readers of the book know too she is an absolutely equal full partner in any fruit that has come from my ministry and in any credit that should come my way, she is absolutely a full partner in that.
0: I just love that. And I wanted to give, uh, I just wanted to celebrate her here as a part of our conversation. Um, You guys can find Todd at toddnettleton.com. You can also find him at Voice of the Martyrs. The book is When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. I invite you to take this journey. Um, with Todd. It will, trust me, absolutely change your life. It will change your perspective on the kingdom of God, the kingdoms of this world, your brothers and sisters who inhabit it. Um, It'll change you. Trust me, it's going to. It's it's a great journey when faith is forbidden. Todd, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, We just, we genuinely appreciate it.
3: You are very welcome. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. We'll be right back. All right. One of the really convicting things um, that comes very, very early in the book is a question um, about why we live with the expectation that we're not going to die today. Like we think of Christians around the world who live with the very present reality that they may die today. And so there's this question, perhaps the lesson of the trip for me, not to take tomorrow for granted, but to live each day ready to step off planet Earth and into eternity. Let's uh, let's cultivate... Um, whew,